Well, good morning, Soul City Church. How you doing this morning? Good to see you. The, ah, no, I didn't like that one. Let's try it again. Good morning, Soul City Church. How you doing this morning? That's so fun. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And for those of you who are gathered in this room, for those of you who are in our overflowing overflow space, watching online, uh, I'm so glad that you took time to be present with us here this morning. God is doing something very special uh, in and through this church. And so I am so, so, so glad that you are a part of what God is doing here. I want to uh, ask you a question. We kind of want to, we're closing out this teaching series on willing over wanting, but I've, I've had a question I've wanted to ask you. I've been looking forward for us to be together uh, like this for a little while now. Uh, and it may um, feel a little awkward at first, but I thought I just, you know, we're friends and I thought I could just ask uh, the question. So here's the question. Uh, do you remember when your parents first had the talk with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember when your parents first had the talk with you? Or did your parents ever have the talk with you? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about that, yeah. I, I bet you're wondering right now, like, oh, I did, didn't know that's what they're going to talk about this week in church. Well, just stay, stay with me. I don't know if you, if you remember that or if your parents even did. Uh, my hunch is if they did, it was probably awkward at first right? And, and, and they probably kind of fumbled in, around words, and you kind of wondered if they really even knew what they were talking about. And uh, I mean, I, I suppose you being there at some level. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> you ever had that? Or, or, or maybe you had heard some things uh, from friends, or you'd seen some things in, in movies or shows, and so maybe you thought you already knew more than your uh, parents knew. It probably was probably a little awkward, kind of like uh, this moment right now. It just kind of felt a little bit... <laughs> Like that? Do you remember your parents had the talk with you? Do you know, just to be clear, do you know what talk I'm talking about? <laughs> I want to make sure we're on the same page here. I'm talking about the money talk. That's what I'm talking. I don't know what you guys are thinking about. I'm talking about the money talk. Did your parents ever have the money talk with you? I don't know what you you guys you know, you know Jesus. All right. So listen, I. I'm talking about the money talk. If your parents ever had that with you, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. If they did, maybe it was helpful. Odds are, statistically, most people never got the money talk from their parents. They never got to hear about the value of money. They never got to hear about the pitfalls of money. They never got to hear about how to have a plan for their money. And most people uh, never heard about what God has to do with our money. See, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a teaching series. I've loved this teaching series. And we've been looking at these two words as a framework for our intentions, our dreams, our desires, our plans for our lives. We've been saying that there are, there are lots of things in our lives that we want. We've been wanting to see change. We want to see things improve. We did resolutions maybe a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you remember that. Maybe if you made resolutions, those are a lot of want. That's like a wanting list. I want these things to be true. And that's great. And it's important. It's a great place to start. But what we've been looking at is what does it mean to actually be willing? What does it mean to actually be willing to do what only you can do to take radical responsibility, as we're going to look at today, with your finances, with the resources that God has actually entrusted to you? Now, when it comes to money, we are not lacking in wanting, are we? There's all kinds of things, I bet right now, that you want. I mean, we talked a minute ago about what you do if you won the lottery. There's all kinds of things that we want, things that are good things that we want. Dreams that we have for our life, our future, our family, lots of wants, nothing wrong with that. We don't lack wanting. And I would say we actually don't lack willingness either, because the truth is there are all kinds of things that we are 
willing to spend our money on every day, every week, every month. Some without even thinking about it. In fact, there are some folks who are willing to go into debt for things that they want, even though they don't have the money to pay for it. See, we don't lack wanting or willingness. The problem is so often we're just willing around the wrong things when it comes to money. So I thought it'd be helpful for us to have the talk today, an honest, open talk. And I want to be really clear about what we're talking about when we talk about money here in church. I am not talking about, we are not talking about anything that has anything to do with guilt or shame or fear or anxiety. What we're going to talk about today is how you can actually be financially free in your life. How God's desire and intent for you is to be financially free with your resources because our world has gotten a little crazy when it comes to money. It's gotten a little crazy. It's hard to know kind of what to do, what to believe, and we want to talk about the freedom that actually comes in God. Years ago, Jacob Needleman wrote in his great book, Money and the Meaning of Life, he said this. He said, we don't even know what it means to be normal with money anymore. We don't even know what it means to actually just be normal with money anymore. So it's important for us to actually have this talk for all of us, regardless of where your financial world may be right now, regardless of where you're at in your career, regardless of how much maybe you have or how much you owe or whether you kind of got it all together or whether it feels like it's falling apart. All of us have room to grow. And my hunch is all of us want to be financially free. Is that true of you? You actually want to be financially free? I mean, unless you like want to be financially bound and enslaved for the rest of your life, my hunch is you probably want to be free. So what we're going to look at today is what does it really mean to be willing to do what only you can do to take radical responsibility for your resource. So what I want you to do is grab a Bible. We're going to look at one transformational shift that can radically reorient how you look at God and your stuff. Grab a Bible if you would, please. There should be one right under your seat, little Soul City Bible. You can grab one of those. Overflow, we have those for you as well. Uh, grab that, and you can actually turn to Matthew chapter 6. In the Soul City Bibles, it look like this. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 can be found on page 787. Page eight, 787 will get you to Matthew chapter 6. This one fundamental transformational shift that you and I, that everyone can make today to radically reorient how you look at God and your stuff. Let me give you some context as to where we're coming at in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is right in the middle of the most famous sermon in all of human history. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. As far as we can tell, there's a large crowd of people gathered there as Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God, the way of God, the priorities of God, what a life in God actually looks like. And in Matthew chapter 6, he was talking about the relationship that we have between us and our stuff and God. And he's kind of painting a picture. In fact, he just kind of walked folks through what we would call the Lord's Prayer, where he taught us how to pray. And that has a lot to do with dependence on God and trusting God for our daily needs. So that's all the context leading up to Matthew 6, 24. And then Jesus just kind of comes right out and says it in verse 24. This is what he says. He says, no one can serve to what? No one can serve to masters. You might want to circle that word. We'll give some context to that in a second. He says, listen, no one can serve to masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? God and money. Now, he is not saying that money is bad here. He's just saying, look, you got to choose. Who's going to kind of call the shots in your life? You cannot serve 
two masters. Jesus is teaching us an invaluable lesson about what it is that we really value. Now, he uses the imagery of slavery, which in his cultural context, they would have understood. Jesus is not in any way condoning slavery. In fact, he came to liberate us from every form of slavery. But in this context, in that day, they understood slavery. In fact, it's safe to assume that in that crowd listening to Jesus, there were probably slaves in that crowd and probably masters in that crowd. And the word master he uses here is not some sort of like metaphorical leader in our life or some sort of boss. It literally means the master of a servant, the one who sort of owns the rights of another. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, you already kind of know this context. They were familiar with this context. And it would be very uncommon in that day for a slave to actually have two masters. A master would never share their servant with another master because they know that that just wouldn't work out over time. You'd never have a slave with two masters. So what Jesus is saying here, they would all go, yeah, of course, Jesus, we got that. But in our context, <laughs> we've sort of forgotten that principle because we, we kind of have multiple things calling the shots in our life at any given moment. Let me just show you what I mean. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever had two jobs at one time. Raise your hand if you've ever had two jobs. Oh, look around. You're a living example of what Jesus is talking about. Eventually over time, prop, tell me if I'm wrong. Eventually over time, you liked one or at least put up with one more and disliked another. You, the, one of them kind of got the, the better of your work, your effort, your energy, your attention, right? Okay, raise your hand if when you were, if you went to college, when you were in college, if you had a job, if you were in college and had a job, raise your hand. How fun was that? <laughs> Trying to be a full-time student. When I was in college, I was a full-time student and had two part-time jobs. It was a lot to manage. I ended up despising all of them. I didn't like <laughs> any of it during that time, right? So you're kind of familiar with this concept. We do it with our time. We try and be in two places at one time. You'll be talking to someone in person and all of a sudden they'll pull out their phone and be like, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> totally. That's trying to serve two masters. I'm going to talk to you, and then I'm going to talk to this person, and maybe I'll also look at Twitter on the side. You have all kinds of things going on. We know we kind of bend and break this rule all of the time, but the point that Jesus is making here is actually one will always win out over the other. It's just inevitable. One will always win out over the other. And when it comes to God and money, what Jesus is saying here is that your financial freedom hangs on who holds your heart. Let me say that again. Your financial freedom hangs on who holds your heart. Is it God or is it money? Which one do you see as the source of your satisfaction? Is it God or is it money? Which one do you find yourself thinking about more? Is it God or is it money? Because what Jesus is showing us here is a very important principle when it relates to not only God and money, but just about anything in our life. It's that what you put first in your life puts everything else in perspective. What you put first puts everything else in perspective. True? Think about it. How many of you just raise your hand? Look, a lot of raising of hands today. How many of you uh, have ever trained for a race or a marathon? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've ever trained for... Okay, remember... You put that first. You had to to make it happen. I have a friend who's doing a Spartan race in a couple weeks. It's 
all he thinks about and talks about. It's totally changed his diet. It's totally changed the way he sleeps. He's drinking water all of the time, just pouring water on himself all of the time because he's put that first. It's a big thing in his life. It's given perspective to everything else. You can do this with a job. If you put your job or your career first, then you kind of prioritize that over everything else. Your time, your free time, your friendships. You kind of look at any time you have as an opportunity to get ahead in your field or your career. If you've been in a new relationship, you're falling in love with someone and you put that relationship first, it totally puts everything else in perspective, doesn't it? Because you just, all you want to do is be with this person and it's wonderful and it's beautiful, except for everything and everyone else around you. Because you get like relational amnesia. You just forget that you ever even had other friends other than this person in your life. Do you see, that's, you see how that works? Whatever you put first puts everything else in perspective. And so what Jesus is saying here is what are you going to put first on your list? Is it going to be God? Or is it going to be money? You actually have to choose. Then Jesus goes on to sort of make a case for why God is a better source for our security in this life. Look at verse 25. He says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, therefore, I tell you, do not what? Do not worry. worry. Now, I want you to look for that word over the next couple sentences. Go ahead and circle the word worry. I want you to look at how many times it appears in the next few sentences. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you wear. Is not life more than food in the body more than clothes? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is your life is worth so much more than just the, the constant collection and consumption of, of things, of stuff. Life is far more valuable than we tend to value. So then he gets even more specific. Verse 26, he says, look up, look at the birds in the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. They have no five-year plan. They are not investing in a 401k. Like, they don't do any of that stuff, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, look at this. Are you not much more valuable than they? Do you think that a little bird matters more than you to God? Verse 27, can any one of you by what? By worrying getting anxious, fearful around this stuff, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And I think you could probably answer that question for yourself. Has any of that ever helped you move forward in life? All the fear, anxiety, worry, stress that you feel around money. Jesus is saying here, look, just look up. If you're ever wondering where you sit with God, if you're ever wondering if God is actually good, just look at the birds around you. God knows every single one of them and takes care of every single one of their needs. And so you don't, you don't even have to worry about this stuff. Verse 28, look what he says. And why do you what? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these, referring to King Solomon, the wealthiest, wisest person uh, to ever have lived and very important central character in their story. He knew, they knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. And he says, Don't he, why do you even worry about what you're going to wear and all that kind of stuff? Like, you should definitely wear clothes, but don't worry about your clothes. He says, because why? Because just look, if, if, look if, if looking up to the birds doesn't help you, then look down to the flowers in the field. You've never seen anything more beautiful than that. Now, I know I stepped the pause here. 
I know that we are in Chicago in the dead middle of winter, and you may have forgotten about flowers, <laughs> or if you'll ever see one again. Flowers are those things that grow up out of the ground. No, not, not potholes, the other things that grow up out of the ground, right? So you just have to, well, it'll come back to you eventually. But what Jesus is saying here is look, look up to the birds or, or look down to the flowers in the field to see how much God takes care of them. Verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Won't he take care of of you? And then Jesus uses this phrase, he's used it a couple times throughout his life. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, this, this immature, this not yet fully realized faith. Oh, I long for you to see what I see, faith. See, what God is doing here through Jesus is he is demonstrating to you sort of where you fit in the grand scheme of things. By having you look at birds and flowers and grass, he's showing you where you fall on his list of priorities, of how you actually matter to God. That he loves every little bird and every little flower and every little thing that you'll never even think of, but that he loves you more. And that God actually puts you first, that you are at the top of his list. If he's going to take care of all the little birds and all the little bugs and all the little fish and all the little flowers, what makes you think that he won't take care of you? Why would you ever need to worry about whether or not God is good enough to actually know your needs and take care of you? See, here's just a fundamental truth that you need to know about God. Maybe you're new to church Maybe you're new to kind of this whole thing, relationship with God. Here's what you need to know. You are at the top of God's list. You're at the top of his list. The question is, is he at the top of yours? You are already at the top of God's list. He's put you at the top of his list. He just demonstrated it through all the things throughout creation. You're at the top of his list. The question is, is he at the top of yours? Do you do the same that he does with you? Now, years ago, many, many years ago, to kind of help me get this concept, to sort of teach myself what it means to really trust God, because my, my struggle in life is not whether or not God exists. My struggle has always been whether or not God is good, whether I can really, really trust him and whether he really, really knows what I need. So when I was about 18 years old, I was finally out on my own for the very first time. And uh, I remember when I was getting change from the grocery store or something one day, I found something in, in my change that I'd never, ever seen before. It was this dollar bill where someone had taken uh, the little place where George Washington goes, and they'd actually put a picture of Santa Claus in that place. Probably illegal, but I thought, that's really cool. I've never, has anyone ever seen one of these before? Ever had one of these before? I'd never seen this before. I was like, well, this is really unique and highly unlikely that I came across this little uh, Santa dollar. And so I thought, I, I had a moment, right? I'm 18, I'm out on my own, finally kind of doing all my own, paying my own bills, doing all that kind of stuff. I thought, you know what? I want to hold on to this. This is special. This is really special. And what I'm going to do is I actually folded it up and I put it in this little pocket in my wallet. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. God, I, I want to see, I want to like, kind of like place a bet, a $1 bet on you, God that you're always going to take care of my needs. I'm going to keep this in my wallet and trust that I'll never have to use it. 
I want to believe, God, that you will always take care of me, and I'll never have to use my magic Santa dollar. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really have powers, but, you know, you can just go along with it. And so I, I kept it in my wallet, and for years, years, never spent it. It was always there. There were times where it was really low. There was not much else in this wallet, but I thought, you know what? I know God made a promise. He knows every one of my needs. He will take care of me. I was able to keep my wallet for years until I lost my wallet one weekend. Oh yeah, I felt sadder than that, but yeah, I was <laughs> expected a little more sympathy, but yeah. I had to go through all the hassle. You've done that where you have to like cancel all your credit cards and then you have to get the new driver's license. Do you know what I was most bummed about? My magic Santa dollar. I was so bummed. I'm like, God, I felt like that was a thing we had. I thought like, you know, that was going to like be with me forever and, you know, just sort of make all my wishes come true. And I don't know. Like, I thought we had a thing. And about a year or so later, I was uh, doing, getting change or something like that. I think I was like a Jewel Osco. I don't know. Something nowhere, nowhere magical. And I was getting change. And guess what was in the change? Another Santa dollar. I'm not kidding. This is actually the second Santa dollar that I've owned. And I saw that. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Santa, for your incredible provision in my life. Who gets two Santa dollars in their life? This guy does. And so I folded it right back up. I said, I know exactly where this goes. And as I've kind of, you know, kind of grown, our family has grown, I've kept that in my wallet and said, God, I still believe, I still believe that no matter what, you will actually provide for me. I believe that you've put me at the top of your list. And so God, I want to try and put you at the top of mine, where it matters most, oftentimes where it's the most difficult when it comes to my resources. This is why Jesus says with absolute authority and zero irony, what he says in verse 31. He says this, so in summary, do not what? Anyone want to guess? Worry. So after you've seen all that I've just expressed to you, don't worry. Don't worry saying, oh, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans go after, they run after these things. And your heavenly father already knows that you need them. People get obsessed about this kind of stuff. He says, don't worry about it. Your heavenly father already knows that you need them. Isn't that so cool? Of all the brilliant and profound and life-changing transformational teachings of Jesus, one of the hardest ones for us to get is this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Relax. Forget about it. God's got this. He's got you. You are at the top of his list. You don't need to worry. Pagans do that kind of stuff. Now, what's he talking about when he's talking about pagans here? Well, he's talking about people in his culture in his day that worshiped other gods, oftentimes many other gods. And in pagan culture, pagan worship that day, they had idols to all kinds of different gods. But in pagan culture and pagan worship in that day, someone who worshiped all these different gods for all these different things never once expected to have a relationship with any one of those gods. That's not how it was set up. Those gods were unknowable, uncontrollable, impersonal, unrelatable. They did not care about their followers. The pagans would have to run after all these things because they couldn't count on their gods to take care of them. And the same is true of the gods of our culture today. We have just as many gods that we worship at the idols and the altars of. There's a god of money, talking about that today. God of power, God of control, God of sex, God of comfort, 
all kinds of gods that we can give ourselves to and we can devote ourselves to and have all kinds of feelings about and beliefs about. But at the end of the day, the truth is they don't feel anything about you. They have no relationship with you. Not so with your heavenly father. The whole point of this is relationship with him. You already know how he feels about you, about how you are at the top of his list. So this is why Jesus invites us to do the same in verse 33. Look what he says. But he says, so he says, in summary, he says, seek what? Seek first. Seek first the kingdom, God's kingdom, his will, his way on earth, and his righteousness, and all these things, all this other stuff that we get so worried about and chase after, all the things that you need in your life will be given to you as well. All these things will be given to you if you seek first, if you put him first. If you want to actually be financially free, you have got to be willing to put God above everything else, to put God before everything and everyone else. And when you do, when you put him first, especially when it comes to your resources, when you put God first, everything else then finds its place because your perspective is set by the things that you put first. Whatever you put first puts everything else in perspective. After that, it's a lot of details and logistics, dollars and cents. But this is about priority. This is about your heart. This is about putting God first. Now, easy to say, what does it mean? Like, what does that even look like? How do I even do that in my everyday life? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, we are going to get incredibly spiritual practice, spiritually practical for the next few moments. And I want to show you what it looks like to actually put God first, to seek him first before and above anything and everything else in your life. What it actually tangibly looks like and a transformational shift that you can make starting today that leads to freedom in your financial world. Now, first, let me show you sort of how it works and what it looks like in our world today. And you may be familiar with some of these words if you've been around Soul City before. This is how we tend to operate. The world tends to operate, right? This is what we put first. All the things that we got to do to live our life. Nothing wrong with that. There's bills to pay. Taxes are coming up. You got a mortgage. You got a rent. You have car payments. You got college student loans that you got to pay off, all those kinds of things. And then after all the things you're obligated to pay, you kind of have to pay, then there's all the things that you want to do. You know, there's the places you want to go, the clothes that you want to wear, the meals that you want to eat with friends. We tend to spend most of our resources right here in this category. In fact, statistically, about 98% for most people of their resources go into this, into just everyday living stuff. And then if we have anything left over, then we'll maybe save. Maybe we'll save a little bit for later or for something that we want down the road. And then after that, if anything's left, then we give. Then we give to charitable nonprofits or to a church like this church. But this, does this order kind of seem familiar to you? You kind of use it. Live, then if I have anything left over, save. And then if there's anything left over after that, then maybe I'll 
give. And maybe that's, you've kind of grew up in a church where that's sort of what you did. They would pass the buckets and you kind of like, I don't know, whatever I got on me. And you grab your wallet and you kind of throw it in. It's kind of like a tip for God. You know, like, hey, good job, God. You know, like you kind of throw them, there's 8%. You know, I don't know, like you just kind of throw it in there. Is it right? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you kind of see how the priorities seem a little contradictory to what Jesus was just talking about here. This, this way of, of, of living and viewing our resources sort of goes like this. It's a then-God way of looking at my resources. First, got to take care of all the stuff to live. i got to make sure I get this. i got to make sure I buy this, make sure I pick up this. Then if I have anything left over, then maybe I'll save or put some away for the future, maybe. Then-God. After everything else, if there's anything left, then-God. This is how most people tend to operate. What Jesus is talking about here, though, is a radical reorienting of the way that you look at your stuff, the way you look at... God, what Jesus is suggesting is this, is that I start by saying, God, I'm going to give first to you. It's a practice and principle taught throughout the Bible. I want to give first to you. Then I'm actually going to save after that. Before I get to all the stuff that I got to do and all the things I want to do, I'm actually going to save. What we call this is an investment in future you. It's you choosing right now to say, hey, one day I'm going to thank past me for investing in future me. And so I'm going to be intentional about putting some money away, some resources away, so that one day I won't even have to think about it. It's a great, it's a, it's a great investment. You're only investing in yourself. Great investment. Then after that, we live. Then after that, we figure out and sort out how to pay the bills, how to do all the things we have to do, then all the things that we want to do. Does this feel different than what we just looked at? It's a radical reorienting. It starts by putting God first at the top of the list. This approach to looking at your resources, resources is known as God, then. God first, then everything else. So the way a lot of folks are is then God. I'll kind of do this, then this, then this, and then if there's anything left, God. This is a radically different approach that says, no, God, then everything else. And I believe as I do that, God will provide for every one of my needs. That's the promise that he actually gave me and that he made to me. So I'm going to start with him. I'm going to give to God, and then I'm going to work it out, save, invest into future me, and then live. Again, a lot of different ways to approach this, but the principle holds is that I actually start with God, that I make his priorities my priorities. And because I'm at the top of his list, I put him at the top of mine. See, isn't it so true that when it comes to God and our money, oftentimes we go to God first with our financial problems. Oh God, oh God, oh God. I don't know how I got here. You got to bail me out. Send me a magic Santa dollar God. Like we'll go first to God with our financial problems, but last with our financial plans. This is shifting that. This is getting upstream. I'm not going to go just with my financial. And God loves when you come to him with your problems. That's the good, good father that he is. He loves to help transform you and lead you through whatever wall you may be up against. But this kind of flips the script and says, no, I'm actually going to go first with my plans to God. I'm going to set my plans based on this as my priority. What would it look like for you to sort of take that kind of radical responsibility in your financial world, to make that kind of shift in your life. The people who have, if you were to ask, talk to them around here at Soul City, would tell you one of the greatest decisions they've ever made. I have yet to meet someone who regrets giving to God. I have yet to meet someone who said, you know what, I've been giving to God all these years? Waste. 
total waste. Never met anyone that said that. Never met anyone said, you know what? I start with God and then everything else falls into place after that. I've never met anyone who regrets setting up their life that way. I don't think you will either. This is a radical reorienting. It takes radical responsibility. What only you can do. What would it look like for you to make that shift today? You know, I was at the oil change place not long ago. I don't know if you have a car and you go and take it to the oil change place. Um, I, was, I was there at the oil change place and I had this thought. I felt like God kind of gave me this image uh, at the oil change place. It's where God does some of his best work. And um, you know that little sticker they put in the, in the window if you've ever gotten your oil change, they put that sticker and it has like the miles to when your car blows up or whatever. There's that. And then there's a date. Sometimes they'll put the date on there, like come back and, and it's usually 90 days, come back in three months, right? And I had this thought when I was looking at this sticker of like, oh, I wonder what'll happen over the next 90 days. Like, that's what's so cool about life. I have no idea what's going to happen over the next 90 days. I mean, I have some thoughts, I have some plans, I have some things that are on the calendar. I have no idea what will shift, what will change, what will happen in the next 90 days. And as I was thinking about us, I was thinking about you, I was thinking about our church, and what would it look like for us to take radical responsibility for the next 90 days when it comes to our resources? What might happen if we looked at the next three months, like right up till tax day, right? We'll just use that as a landmark there. Right up for the next three months to say, I want to do whatever I can do to put God first. It's going to look different for all of us, every single one of us. But I want to start with this principle. I'm going to start by putting him first. And over the next 90 days, I want to be conscious. I want to be intentional about doing just that. I don't want to just want change in my finances. I'm going to be willing to do something about it. I don't just want to get out of debt. I'm going to be willing to do whatever I can do to get out of debt. I don't just want to be financially free. I'm willing to do my part to experience what God has for me, what he's promised for me, financial freedom. So this is what we came up with. We want to offer you a little homework, a little 90-day challenge, and it's going to take your phone. So if you have your phone, go ahead and pull your phone out right now. It's okay. Some of you already have it out. Uh, just only open your text app, whatever you use to text, okay? Please don't open anything else, just that. And what we want to do is set up a little 90-day challenge to take radical responsibility with your resources. And so here's what, we're going to put a little number up on the screen. And if you were to actually type in the word SC free to the number 31996, we want to send you some information, a challenge about how you can do that, specifically in two ways. If you were to text SC free, SC free to 31996, we'll just send you a, a little link. And what, do, what happens when you do that, when you text in, uh, you'll automatically be sent a link, you should be, and then it'll automatically deduct $1,000 out of your bank account <laughs> right away. No, I'm kidding. That's not, we would never, I mean, if we, no, we would never, we would never, we would never, no, we would never do that. It's a link. And the point is on that page, when you click on that link, and I would encourage you to do it when you get home today, when you leave today, or even while I'm talking right now, you can begin to do it. But on there is two little challenges to take radical responsibility over the next 90 days. The first is our 90-day giving challenge. We've done this a couple times in our church. We've said for the next 90 days, we want to encourage you, if you've never given consistently to God, to start somewhere by putting him at the top. To pick a percentage of your resources, whatever that may be, whatever God leads you to, and start there. To start there. Rather than just the occasional, like, oh, if I happen to, then, 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 God, to start with, no, God, then. I'm going to set up my resources to do that. 
Or maybe you've been giving for a while now to Soul City Church. Maybe you've gotten a little comfortable with your giving. You don't even really think about it much. The challenge for you the next 90 days is to consider what would it look like to increase whatever God leads you to, your giving. To step out of faith a little bit more. And I want to be really clear. This is not like a ploy for us to get more money. That's not what this is about. This is about you experiencing more freedom. This is about you experiencing what God actually promised for you. And this is one of the most radical and tangible ways that you can do that. So there's information on the 90-day giving challenge to start giving for the next 90 days or to increase your giving. And if after 90 days, nothing's changed in your heart, then you can stop. I mean, that's like, that's just between you and God. If you don't want to do it anymore, awesome. That's between you and God. And then right below the 90-day giving challenge, there is information on our budget boot camp. This is one of the greatest resources we offer here at this church. It's coming up on February 3rd, and it tends to fill up, so you're going to want to sign up soon, and you're going to want to more than sign up. You're going to want to show up for our budget boot camp. This is some of the best teachers and facilitators come and help you get into the books and look at a biblical framework for your resources so that you can actually set your life up so that it can be a blessing to you, to God, and to others. All that information comes right when you hit that little text. When you text in the number, we'll send you that link. And I would encourage you to do it today, to not wait, however or wherever God leads you. Can you imagine what might happen in your life if you actually got this one right, like if you actually finally, you know, instead of like, oh yeah, I wanted to kind of get my financial world in order, I've wanted to kind of face this debt, but I'm just kind of running from it because I'm so overwhelmed by it. Can you imagine what would happen if you actually turned around and faced it and said, I'm going to take radical responsibility. If that means I'm going to go to this class where I got to sign up and show up for this class, then sign up and show up. Do not let something like pride or fear keep you from the freedom God has for you. Show up. When it comes to the giving challenge, can you imagine what would happen if you actually like did that for a season? Can you imagine what it would look like for you to not have to worry about money because you've put it all in perspective by putting God first? For those of you who are married, can you imagine what it would look like for you to get on the same page with your spouse around your resources? To actually have conversations like, what do we want to be the story of our money in our life? How can we do that together? Or for those of you who have kids, can you imagine what it would look like for them to see in you the example of not a perfect person, but a transforming person who's trying the best they can to put God at the very top of their life? And how you might actually be able to have the talk with your kids from a place of authority and integrity as God's transforming you and your resources. Can you even imagine what might happen through this church if we actually got this one right? If we actually lived in the freedom that's available to us, what God might do through this church to continue to bless our neighbors around us, to bless those throughout the city, to bless people literally around the world. If a movement of financially free people happened, look out. You have no idea what God might do in and through this church. All of that is not only possible, it's actually promised to you if you're willing to put first things first. So I want to pray for us to conclude our time. We're going to actually receive our offering like we do every week because it's a practical and tangible way for us to practice putting first things first. 
And we was talking to a buddy this last week and he said to me, and we were having lunch and he's like, hey, I want to let you know, man. I just want to let you know, like, I, I put money in the bucket. You know, he's like, I've been doing it for years. And I'm like, okay. He's like, no, I just didn't want you to think like I was a freeloader. I was like, I got it. And I pulled out my phone and went to the freeloader Excel spreadsheet and took him off <laughs> the freeloader. I mean, I was like, dude, I pre- like, that's awesome. He's like, I just wanted to let you know that like, I, I love this church. I love giving to this church. So awesome. I love giving to this church. He's been a part of a small group here, serving around here. He's like, I, I just wanted you to know, I, just, I felt like, I don't know, like I had to tell you that. And I said, well, you didn't have to tell me that, but I appreciate that you did. And I told him, I said, this weekend, we're going to do a little challenge where we talk about actually setting it up online. It's better for you. It's better for the church. And what was so fun is to see him at the 9 a.m. pull his phone out and be like, mm-hmm, down doing it. <laughs> but we give like this because it's a, a reminder to us. And some people love to give like this with the buckets. It's just a reminder to us that we have opportunities every day to put God first, to seek him first, above and before everything else. So that's why we're going to give with joy generosity, with confidence and courage, because we believe the freedom that God has promised to us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll give and close out our time together in a song. Will you join me in a prayer? Uh, Jesus, we, I love you. I love that you not only taught us about this, so, I just love that you taught about it so honestly and so openly. You didn't make it awkward or weird. You just said, look, this is reality. You can't have two masters. You got to choose who's going to be at the top of the list. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you not only taught us about that, you modeled what it means to put your heavenly Father, your Father, at the top of the list by submitting to his will and enduring death, even death on a cross for us. You showed the ultimate act of willingness so that we could actually be free. And so, Jesus, we love you and we declare our, our helplessness without you. I just, I can't imagine my life without you. I don't know how any of us could get through any of this without you. This stuff can drive us crazy. Our money, our resources can bring so much stress and anxiety. I pray for the freedom that you promised to wash over this room, to wash over everyone listening and watching right now, that there's actually freedom and joy in you, that we can actually build our life on your love that your love is the foundation upon which we can build a rich and full and meaningful life. And so, Jesus, we give to you, we put you first because you put us at the top of the list and gave your life for us, so how could we not respond in kind to you? Thank you for not holding anything back from us. We don't want to hold anything back from you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray and give and sing. Amen.